Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That. We're here in the studio with me, Melissa Bridger, and Jen, and we've got a fun episode for you guys that we're really excited to record. Before we get into that, though, we want to let you guys know that we are starting a uh, brand new consultation group. Um, If you guys are interested in doing uh, an hour of consultation with us a month, we sell a package of uh, six months um, with a call each month. And over the course of those six months, we go through each phase and really focus on advancing your skills in each of the phases of EMDR. And we do those in small groups, about three people to, number one, it makes it more cost effective, um, but also we learn from each other as we uh, talk. So if you guys are interested in uh, joining a consultation group, you can reach out to us through our email. Jen, what's our email? Trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. Yeah, that one will work. (laughs) We have a a few. (laughs) We do. Um, You can also find us on social media and messages either through Instagram or Facebook, and we'll get those messages too. So, our episode for today is all about EMDR and the triune brain. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's very I'm fun. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is coming as a like an adjunct to our last episode. So, if you guys yes. haven't listened in on the previous episode, do that, where we dive into the left and right hemisphere and the brain and how that kind of works with EMDR and what we need to stay aware of. Mm-hmm. So, we're taking that then to another level of looking at the triune brain. Yeah. I usually... The way I get into this is just the funny question of, did you know you have three brains? Mm-hmm. And then you get this weird look. And like, what? what are you talking about? And they usually know, like, I say weird brain stuff, and so they're, like, ready for the explanation. Right, Bridger. It's yeah. like, okay, Bridger, get to the point of the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, Bridger, what is the point of the we thing? Do we do have three brains. Yeah. Yes. We have three brains, and we will get to naming them in just a second. But before we do that, um, I always kind of posture this uh, conversation with why it's it's necessary. Um, in a traumatized situation, um, and remembering back to our definition of trauma, when it's just overwhelming, um, the brain has a funny way of handling situations like that. Overwhelm, you know, when we talk about experiencing overwhelm, that in the brain is an experience of disintegration. Mm-hmm. And when we say disintegration, we mean that the very feeling of overwhelm that you get is because of your brain not being able to handle uh, the the demand that is being put on it. So literally the structures of the brain start to uh, shut down. You know, that's just a turn of phrase, but they start to they start to sort of pitch or, or punt on the uh, resource that they usually give. And they say, I can't do this right now. I'm going to check out. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of, quote unquote, go offline. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a traumatized brain or just an overwhelmed brain, you can actually see this in different fMRI scans. Bessel van der Kolk um, in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, talks a lot about this. And then uh, Dan Siegel um, in many different publications that he's uh, been a part of talks about the, the trauma brain, quote unquote, and many other researchers do too. But this is kind of what they're referring to, that the structures of the brain are such that in a normal situation, they would all work together for the sake of, um, you know, a synchronized response but then in an overwhelmed situation we kind of just fall apart Mm -hmm. and that falling apart uh is mapped onto these three brains Mm -hmm. that we have Mm -hmm. um so 
Yeah. Do you want us to go in now or do you find well, more I, preface? I think that it's relevant in a couple of different situations. You know, the first one being it's very helpful to explain that to clients because it's de-shaming to them to really understand that when they were in that traumatic moment that those brain regions, you know, went offline and those resources weren't available. And that explains a lot of the behaviors that we see in the midst of a trauma. And that can be incredibly relieving for for people to know that this wasn't a choice they made. This was something that their biology did for the purpose of survival. Um, And so we always share that with our clients because it is very shame reducing and relieving to them. But the other part that is really, really relevant is that when we are doing trauma work, we run into this shutdown sequence while we are trying to process the trauma. Yeah. So it's not just relevant for the exact time and place that the trauma happened, but any time that we try to access the stored memory of that trauma, like we do with EMDR, we are going to be running into that same shutdown sequence that occurred at the time. Um, one easy example of this is all of us, well, I shouldn't say that, many of us that work with dissociation, it's... Um, pretty obvious that when you're trying to do EMDR with people that dissociate a lot, they will dissociate during EMDR simply because that is what they did at the time of the trauma, right? And so we're seeing this uh, reenactment of the strategy that occurred at the time, and the brain is showing us, here's what I had to do in order to survive. This is what my body did. This is what my brain did. So we have to know what we're looking at and understanding the sequence of shutdown um, is really, really relevant to any time we're trying to access that trauma and work with mm-hmm. it like we do in EMDR. Mm-hmm. And this, the way that we're going to lay this out is a way to kind of help you as a therapist map out what is happening um, on a deeper level than what you can maybe just see externally for the client and be able to determine where to go next, what to bring in in the EMDR process to really meet the client where they're at. Mm -hmm. We say that phrase a lot, like we have to meet them where they're at. It's their system that's going to do the work, but it's really helpful for us to have an understanding of what part of their brain is really working through this material at this time that gives Mm -hmm. us a lot of information and how to do really quality therapy work with them. Yeah, and I I think it's helpful to remind the the listeners but as well as like i do this with my clients that the brain develops from bottom up mm-hmm. um, and so when we're doing techniques like the float the float back um, you can actually see this you know very very um, procedurally in the way that the the protocol functions you know we keep uh, sort of just letting that sensation or that experience or that you know bodily the, that visceral feeling float back in memory and what you're doing is transcending the bottom from top you're floating down. back in the brain yes, yes. exactly right yep. so you're floating back from the the rational brain that's the kind of neocortex that you talk about the part of the brain you see usually um, and that's that front part of the brain the part that's so uh, you know shiny and new and able to to express complex ideas and plan things and so you're floating back from that into the mammalian brain which is the limbic brain or that the emotional brain and that's where a lot of emotions are, are, are processed and felt mm-hmm. but then even when you float back farther than that you're into the reptilian 
brain. This is the the brain stem and just the back bottom part of the brain. This is the instinctual self. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is the most primitive part of our brain, just just concerned with survival, not flourishing, Mm -hmm. just basic needs. Am I safe or am I going to die? And procreation. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, safety of the species, Mm -hmm. basically, which Mm -hmm. if there are more of us, we're safer. So Mm -hmm. it's concerned with that. Um, But the float back is one of the most tangible sort of um, examples that I have uh, with that I give with clients um, for why this uh, this processing and this this awareness of the structures in the brain is really necessary. Mm Yeah, so I want us to just kind of go in a little bit deeper on when you guys think about, you know, the the rational brain, mammalian brain, reptilian brain. And as we're doing EMDR with people, how do you see this relevant when you're sort of tracking their processing and the way that they move through a target and sort of what comes up in the midst of that? Um, and then kind of moving into how do we help them potentially, mm-hmm. you know, what what kinds of interweaves do we use and things like that, depending on what we're seeing. And the big question, how do we recognize it? What does it look like when somebody's in their rational brain, when somebody's in their mammalian or when somebody's in their reptilian so that we can, you know, just have a guidance on like, what am I looking for and how do I recognize it in session? Yeah, I think when the client is still in that rational brain, it's an easy flow of conversation, mm-hmm. or it can be. There's a lot of um, words like, I think such and such, yes. or um, statement of facts. Mm-hmm. This happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah, clean chronology, mm-hmm. this yes. happened, and then this happened. Yeah. And it's kind of just clear cut a flow of conversation. And even in the reprocessing phase where you're really desensitizing, saying, what do you get now? What do you notice now? They're able to report on that Mm -hmm. with ease, but you don't see much of a shift or activation in the body. There's not a lot of emotional responses. It's just kind of, here's my report of what I get. This is what I notice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's important and significant information that comes of that. So we're not saying that that level of processing is doesn't have meaning but for really full processing we want to make sure that we're not just stopping at that place mm-hmm. yeah that that's not considered oh that's complete um, mm-hmm. we want to see it go into some of those the deeper layers and the levels of the brain yeah and i think in in you know rational brain processing you can start to see the brain um noticing where it needs older resources, I guess, mm-hmm. in that. Um, that's where, to me, you know, you may be going through a clean line of, uh, you know, question, response, question, response, question, response. But then there'll be this, like, tilting into, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why I do that, mm-hmm. but I keep doing it. Or I'm having this feeling and I, I can't quite find the words for it. Yeah, That exactly is a shift. Right. Like yeah. suddenly we are not in rational brain anymore. Yeah. And the rational brain in, in saying what it just said is off, you know, showing its cards mm-hmm. of like, I'm not equipped for this. Mm-hmm. I can't make sense of this complex emotion yeah. that's yeah. deeper in our brain. Well, and I would even say that's the brain telling us uh, or the rational brain telling us, hey, I wasn't there yeah. when that happened. Yeah. I don't have a story, a clear, concise, narrative, chronological story mm-hmm. that I can tell about what happened. So when they reach back into that memory, now we're reaching back into mammalian and then into reptilian, and the rational brain's going, I don't have words for this. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen this before. This, yeah. this feels brand new to me in yeah. some way. Um, what if you've ever used an interweave with somebody and they'll say, well... 
Yeah, that makes sense. But, but that's mm-hmm. saying like that hits them fine on a rational level, right? Like their rational brain gets that. Yeah. But we are processing something that's not in the rational yes. brain. We're processing right. so processing something deeper than that. And so, yes, it makes sense, but mm-hmm. it's not connecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing um, with a particularly rational client that I have, um, she will say something uh, like, that makes sense, but it's hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not saying it just in the way of, you know, that makes my body feel a certain way, but saying it in the way of, I don't quite understand it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's not fully computing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the first places that we see a really clear, I don't know, uh, differentiation in, in where we're working um, is when we do the assessment phase. Each of those questions are sort of aiming at a particular uh, brain. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're asking about cognition, that is a very rational brain question, right? What is the thought that is associated with this event? But then we start dropping down into the emotion, mm-hmm. and then we drop down into the, the body. body. Yes, mm-hmm. and that is to me just this really clear. Yeah. Um, you know, the the assessment process and the whole protocol is really a very whole brain approach because it's targeting each part of us and asking every part of our brain to be on board for the processing that we're about to do. Yeah, on board and forthcoming with mm-hmm. its information. Communicative. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And each part of us, you know, mammalian, rational, uh, reptilian communicates in a different way, mm. right? The the language of the rational brain is language. It is word. It is uh, concept, thought, uh, things like that. And then the mammalian brain is the emotional brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then reptilian, it's very, very visceral. Those basic body responses, um, the tension that we see in their, their body, the desire to move, to run, to hide, to cringe, all of that is being animated by the reptilian brain. And so we, we see every part of them in action in the yeah. midst of processing. Mm-hmm. And if we don't see every part of them in action, that probably means we're missing Should something. Key in to that. <laughs> yes. And that's where we have the power of um, this information where we can recognize yes. that. Then we have the tools of really strategic interweaves yes. that help kind of guide and direct to get to that other place mm-hmm. that might be missing. And we need to see the processing yeah. kind of include. I'm curious, that. Um, somewhat just selfishly, but from a place of being consultants and supervisors, mm-hmm. what kind of questions do you get from consultees that you're like, answering from uh, triune brain knowledge Mm, mm -hmm. and it's like with this knowledge this makes total sense but without it Mm. (laughs) there's no way you could make sense of it like an interweave doesn't work or you know you get stuck I think one of the big things that we run into is um, people wanting a list of interweaves to try Mm -hmm. versus sort of setting themselves free to be creative and responsive with how we interweave based on what we're seeing in front of us right Mm -hmm. now and understanding the triune brain and the way that the nervous system um, is animated lets us look at the process happening in front of us and find an interweave that's going to be a match for where their nervous system is right now. Yeah. 
And not even find as in choose from the list right. that you may have been given. Craft, discover, create. create. Yes, yes. Yeah. based on what you see is occurring and what your knowledge is about mm-hmm. what's happening in their brain. Mm-hmm. And then be able to bring from your own intuition and instinct working with them. Yeah. These are the words that I want to use. Now I can create an interweave in that by shortening it, making it concise and simple, and posing it in a soft question. Yeah. There's yes. an interweave. Yes. yes. So just by way of examples, because examples are always helpful, um, you know, one of the, the reptilian brain interweave examples that we use a lot is if you're watching somebody processing and you're seeing their body try to do something, mm-hmm. such as, you know, their feet start tapping back and forth, um, that's not them doing their own bilateral stimulation, guys. Sometimes it might be. <laughs> but it may be that the nervous system is showing you the desire to run, the desire to flee, to get out of the situation. And so inviting the person to make that bigger, to make that movement bigger, and actually allow the body to experience what it wanted to do back then and could not do, that is a very reptilian brain interweave. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're watching their hands clench, you know, just asking, do your hands want to do anything right now? Yeah. Let's let it do that. That is very reptilian brain because it's so focused on the visceral experience of what's going on. Yeah. Another reptilian one that uh, I find so helpful is, you know, when the reptilian brain is trying to work out uh, how to process the trauma and how to, um, you know, get it into a place that's more uh, integrated, Mm -hmm. um, discovering with the client what that part of them needs to feel safe to feel like they can handle it Um, so even creating a resource like our nurture resources or our protector resources to go back to that uh, traumatic experience and to you know be that strength or be that nurturance Mm -hmm. um, really just making the the reptilian brain um, just rest and I have so many clients who question that, who yeah. really are skeptical. And even therapists that we've trained, mm-hmm. are we, they're not actually going back in time and doing it. Yeah. What, what does it really matter? And all clients mm-hmm. say that, like, that would be great if I could go back and actually have my grandpa show up, but I can't. Yeah. And that is a response from the rational brain. It's purely right? rational. Mm-hmm. But the interweave can still meet the needs of the reptilian brain or the yes. mammalian brain yeah. Yeah. in that sense. The brain doesn't care. No. Yeah, if it actually happened, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. if you can feel the shift in the sessions from just the imagined, you know, resource being there from the grandfather being there, then the brain is feeling it Mm -hmm. too. got what it needed in that moment to be able to become more integrated. And and the rational brain can still hold on to the reality that, no, he wasn't actually there. We don't have Mm -hmm. to trick ourselves into thinking he was. Mm -hmm. Right. We can know that truth while still having the the need met on a reptilian mammalian level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Still, the, still, still tell the truth well, the story I, with fact. I think that goes down to kind of a basic misunderstanding of why things are traumatic to us in the first place. Yes, it does. You know, we, we sometimes uh, tell ourselves a story that this thing was traumatic because I know what happened and what happened was really bad. And it's the story that we tell ourselves that we get fixated on. The truth is, is that things are traumatic because our body, our visceral self, our nervous system got overwhelmed. Yes. And 
in that in that state of overwhelm, it did not figure out how to meet the demand, meet the challenge that was occurring, and then release the the stress, the adrenaline, the tension, all of that activation stayed in the nervous system. So we get these long-lasting symptoms like insomnia, yeah. uh, anxiety, all the other you yeah. know, ones that we're used to seeing. One of the analogies I use with clients is um, to get them to understand that the difference between trauma and overwhelm, Mm -hmm. um, that you're in a boat and it's just a small wooden boat and you only have five corks, but you have six holes in the boat. Mm -hmm. Oh no. Oh no. My finger. Yeah. You can try with your (laughs) finger, but maybe it'll work. But then how do you start paling out the water? Also, like you just feel like that. Oh oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And maybe, you know, it's just five little holes. Right. So no trauma, quote unquote, right. uh, no massive wave came and knocked them over, right. but they still sank. And the lack of corks. Exactly. Yes. Poor lack of resources. That's <laughs> right. right. That's to give what him it some is. more corks. <laughs> he needs more corks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, if only if only we had more resources. Right. Is the right. logical like yes, mm-hmm. that would have been so helpful. Mm-hmm. And it would have so, made all the difference. Exactly. Yeah. So these these interweaves or these these resources are really going back and giving them more corks. Right. You know. Well, and. And on, on the most basic level, we're giving the body and the nervous system a chance to release the stress response that is still being held. Yeah. And it is that um, that stored old stress response that is being activated and triggered in the present. So mm. when it gets released out of the nervous system, and literally what happens is the you know the neurons are reshaped in the way that they are you know connected to each other. There's no longer a stress response there to be triggered. Yeah. And that is one of the things that means that it doesn't matter that grandpa wasn't actually there. What mattered is that by imagining him being there, it unlocked the door yeah. for that nervous system to release the stress response that it had been holding for all of these years. Yeah. So yes, my rational brain does not understand why that makes a difference because the rational brain always thinks that it is smarter than everything else. Yep. But what is actually true is that the reptilian brain is the most powerful, especially yeah. when it comes to trauma. It is what matters. The rep- the rational brain is always trying to like tell a story after the fact. The <laughs> rational brain is, I mean, and evolutionarily so, this is true also, but is the, the youngest child. Mm-hmm. Thinking it owns everything. Right. It's the, the pampered, you know, spoiled one thinking right. that I know better than you guys, especially my oh. oldest brother, the reptilian brain. <laughs> I know way better than him. But I the, feel offended. Stop talking about a child like that. But the second that 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 the that that youngest child gets overwhelmed, right? Where do they run? Right, exactly. The older sibling. Yeah, yeah, and it happily, willingly takes over. Yes, yes, and I think you know the more that we understand that when we're sitting there processing, the more we can provide interweaves that are really, really targeted at opening the door to that reptilian brain and to that nervous system and saying, do you feel safe enough Mm -hmm. to release what you've been holding? And I'll even add to that, the more that we can do resources. Mm -hmm. There are so many resources out there to provide that safety. And it's not just a checklist of, I do these because I have to, but when we're really determining the best use of our time for doing resources, find the ones that are most effective and are Mm -hmm. gonna hit the client where they need it, yeah. um, where is their brain lacking that resource to unlock that and to still have a sense of safety mm-hmm. or connection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think the resources, interweaves, 
all of that can be mapped right alongside the triune brain. Yeah. Yeah. Another place that we see this play out a lot, and, you know, Bridger, you asked about questions that we get when we're doing consultation. We get questions about negative and positive cognitions mm. all the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We get super, super concerned about negative and positive cognitions. And I get why. As in, like, what's the right one? What's the right one? Oh, okay. Yeah. And how do, how do we help clients pick the right one. So we're here today, you guys, to release you from the fantasy of finding the right cognition. It doesn't exist. It doesn't What a exist. rational brain requirement. <laughs> it is. It I is. must know the right I must know negative the right cognition. Yeah. Yeah. The only time that I will say that there there is a um, maybe a wrong one. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> uh, there is such thing as picking a wrong cognition, but there's not a thing in picking the right cognition. We just have to be close enough that once again, it opens that door and the the whole system can kind of come in and really connect with what's being said. And one of the ways that we can do that is by really looking for a cognition that is as close as we can get to the belief of the reptilian brain. Mm rather than the belief of the rational brain, because the rational brain is always just trying to tell a story to make sense of the thing that we went through. And it's only guessing, because it usually was not even present for the trauma. So the rational brain, its belief system is going to be a post facto story. Mm. And so if we stay there, that's when I see people get stuck. We didn't go deep enough. We didn't get to the real core of what was going on. And one of my favorite questions to help us get to the core is when they give us that first initial, um, you know, rational brain negative cognition. We ask the question: If that's true, what does that mean about you? Yeah. What does it say about you? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go deeper. One layer deeper. And sometimes I'll ask that question two, three, four times. And if we just keep going deeper, what we usually get to is a reptilian brain belief. And that's yeah. even with those clients who will say, well, none of these really fit. Like, I know mm-hmm. that's not true. I that's a rational brain that. response, yes. right? Yes. But we're trying to get into that of, okay, but if that were true, or what is your body responding mm-hmm. to? We're finding the belief of the reptilian or the mammalian brain, not the rational brain. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to share an opinion. I'm curious what oh, you guys good. think. I'm going to share what I think is the ultimate reptilian brain negative cognition. You ready? Yes. Here it is. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Yep. That is the most core fear-based cognition, and I think at the root of every reptilian brain yeah. is the fear belief, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. I'm not safe. I'm not safe. I'm going to Something die. Something bad is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all of those that fall yes. in the safety category. Yes. Yeah. yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that it is sectioned off, and we've kind of talked about um, how it is sort of mirroring the mm-hmm. reptilian. You know, it's it's mirroring the the triune brain, mm-hmm. but those safety categories, the, those those items that are in the safety category. Are really, You're talking about the list of cognitions yes, that people yes, receive. Yes, yes, sorry, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Are really reflecting the, you know, the requirements and the longings of the reptilian brain. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I have to feel safe before we can do anything else. Mm-hmm. That is a basic need for mm-hmm. me. So as an example of that, let's just, you know, walk through the whole process, right? Yeah. So somebody comes in and they're wanting to process an argument they got in with their boss at work. And we start with that question of, oh, okay, so when you focus on that, what what negative words go best with that? Well, I screwed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rational brain. Hello, rational brain. Thank you for telling us what you think. And now, yeah. one layer deeper. If that's true, 
If you screwed up, what does that mean about you? I'm incompetent. I'm incompetent. If you're incompetent, what does that mean about you? Keep going. Go ahead, Bridger. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, from there you could go any number of places, but uh, I'm I, not good enough. Yeah, I'm not good enough. Yes. Or um, I'm a failure. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes. I'm a failure. And then if that's true, then I'm unlovable. Oh, no. If I'm unlovable, I'm unacceptable. No one's going to want me. That's right. I'm going to be rejected. I'm alone. Yes. I'm alone. I'm I'm going to die. (laughs) I'm unsafe. I'm going to die. Some people may jump to the I'm going to die much faster. That's right. Take fewer. Yeah. And the truth is we don't have to go through that process with every single person to have effective processing. But the point is, is that it's really helpful as therapists for us to know that this is the core for everybody. Yeah. It is. It always goes that deep. And if if we're working on something and we can't quite see, like, how in the world is this connected to somebody's core safety or, or, or core um, basic needs as a human being, we might not get very far because it may not be um, the real root of what the problem is. Yeah. And so it's a way of kind of checking in with ourselves to see if we're targeting what we really need to be targeting. And if safety is the ultimate human need, basic mm-hmm. human need, connection as well is another form in which it comes yeah. up. That is yes. probably what you're going to hear more from your clients and things like the work situation. They may not get down to, I'm going to die, but the, yeah. I'm a failure or I don't belong. Mm-hmm. That no is the connection me. piece that ultimately on a revol- evolutionary standpoint, that is a fear of I'm going to die, but yes. they may not have that connection yeah. in their own yes. minds. Yeah. And if we if we like push them too far, it may get too disconnected from the situation that they're currently focused on. And that's what I'm saying. We don't have to go through that process mm-hmm. with everybody, but it's just really, really helpful for us to always keep in mind when the reptilian brain shows up, always go towards it. And honor it. Yes, because it actually is the most potent piece when it comes to releasing trauma from our system. Mm-hmm. So I think, Melissa, what's important in that is sometimes we get multiple cognitions that mm-hmm. fall in different categories. That's a good point. So safety is the uh, reptilian. Mm-hmm. We've got defectiveness, of responsibility and defectiveness mm-hmm. related to mammalian. Yeah. And then we have the choice and, and power control. and control. Mm-hmm as are rational and so if they're choosing one from multiple categories go after the safety one first let that be where you start and what will naturally happen is it will likely move through all of those before you fully clear that that's why you start with the most basic one yes Yes. start there at the reptilian brain and let it move through if it doesn't let's say we clear it on the reptilian level check back in with the mammalian level next and start processing yet again with that next cognition category Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that when I check on after you've cleared something and you check back in on what the positive cognition that they would have that mm-hmm. they you know originally selected let's say they did choose three different ones that mm-hmm. were each from one of the respective categories more often than not the positive cognition addresses the reptilian yes yeah than just the rational mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm in control that's that's rarely ever one that mm-hmm. i get from the the checking again for the positive cognition mm-hmm. but when they reframe it it's i'm safe mm-hmm. i'm going to be okay i'm going to be okay mm-hmm. yeah Well, and I find that so fascinating because, like, while those positive cognitions are on the list, 
nobody ever ends up choosing them because they're not true and they can't be true. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like the rational brain immediately goes, I'm in control. That's not, that's not actually true. I that's can't accept I want that. to believe <laughs> the first that, time you yes, ask that me. That would be nice. But yes. once I get to the end of processing, right. I don't need that anymore. I don't need that exactly. Because I'm okay. That's right. Yes. That's, yes. Right. I, that's to mm-hmm. me, is just so like, beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. watching that unfold. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to make note of is, there is a theme that we'll see, and I don't want to say this is a guarantee, but when you see really early childhood trauma mm. and someone is trying to select a negative cognition, it's likely that you will see it fall in that safety category mm-hmm. because of the way that the brain is developed. Um, the reptilian brain is going to be the earliest, most primitive part. And Who so, was present for that. Yes. Yes. And then when you see maybe through elementary into middle school age, you may Mm -hmm. see it fall more in that mammalian area or related to responsibility, um, that that, those categories. And then if it's a single um, isolated event in adulthood, you may see it fall more in power and control or choice. Yes. Yeah. Or identity still gets into, Mm -hmm. I can, it's okay to be who I am. That's kind of a mixture of, you know, those uh, developmental tasks really showing the emergence of the rational brain yes. that the rational brain once it comes online can make sense of all that it all that it's experienced mm-hmm. all that the brain has experienced mm-hmm. so that's really making sense of some of those identity statements yeah. um, given my experience this is who I am yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this is a topic that we really like to talk about, as oh, you guys man. have discovered. Yes, <laughs> talk we about got all very the time. excited. We do, and we are uh, in 2021. We are going to be developing an advanced EMDR training that will have some of these core concepts included in it. Um, so stay tuned, and we will tell you when, not if, when. <laughs> We Are you manifesting that. right am, now? Yeah, that, that is what's happening. This is what I do, you guys. This is how we hold ourselves accountable to actually get the things done that we to say we're going to do. Dreams. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. true. What we do have right now, though. Yes. So that might be our, our goal for 2021. But what we have in place right now is a trauma-informed care training. So if any of you listening have been interested in a lot of the things we talk about and can say, hey, I know of somebody or even a part of an organization I am with who needs more information on how to provide trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. This does not just have to be therapists. That's right. It can no. be Teachers, any helpers providers, out yes. there. Any yes. human being. Any humans, really. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so if this is something you're interested, we have a three-day training on this, and it really dives into um, not just therapeutic practices, but it dives into wh- how trauma affects the brain, mm-hmm. therefore then affecting the interaction with that human in the world yeah. and how do we interact with them in a healing way? How can our regular interactions be trauma-informed and healing? Yeah, yes. developing that training was so, so fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved being able to be there um, teaching it. Um, one of the things at Beyond Healing Center that we find so central to our identity as a practice is uh, the equipping of uh, human beings mm-hmm. to be not only trauma-informed, but we kind of jokingly, but not jokingly say nervous system-informed. Yes. That we want to always point back to the way that our experiences shape our nervous system mm-hmm. and thus uh, our lives. And what it means for nervous systems to come into interaction with each exactly. other. in relationship. And how to really understand what that means relationally in all kinds of different interactional settings. Yes. You know, in, in a school, in a workplace, in a 
family. Oh my gosh, nervous systems interacting in a family. <laughs> a communal nervous yeah. system. A communal nervous system, yeah. Oh. Um, and so this training really kind of does a deep dive into how to create families, cultures, workplaces, etc., that are very nervous system and trauma informed so that we are promoting healing and resiliency from trauma um, in all those different environments. And gosh, if ever before this year has taught us that we need a lot more trauma-informed, mm-hmm. nervous-informed interacting to uh, have a buffer against all the stress that we live with every day. Mm-hmm. If that's something you would be interested in learning more about, just send us an email to trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com and we'll be sure to get in touch with you and we can kind of discuss the details and possibilities of that. Mm-hmm. One other thing I want to mention is Katherine Keller. Um, she is someone we've talked about before, but we want to mention her again now because she has a new program out. And Catherine is a lady who has helped us just kind of build our business and our practice, and she's done all of our website work. So she has worked with several therapists, actually, that found her from our podcast. And really, over the last several months, she's helped 30 therapists get a full working caseload Hmm. um, in their practice. So it's pretty incredible to think in times that we're going through right now Mm -hmm. that she has 30 therapists with full caseloads. Mm Um, She has a program out now that is 90 days to a full, enjoyable workload. So if that title sounds interesting to you or seems like something that you could benefit from, we would encourage you to check her out at www.katherinekeller.net backslash EMDR. And she's available to do 30-minute consultations. And so if you go to that site, you can get a 30-minute consultation for free and just find out how she could potentially help you in your practice and building your business. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for tuning in today and listening. We look forward to hearing from you all on our social media or emails. Send in your questions. We want to do another Q&A coming up soon, so we'd love to hear from you guys, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.